Psalm 51. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Starting from verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desired truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. For most people here, I'm guessing, and especially those who are over 25 years of age, the name Monica Lewinsky will evoke memories of a scandal that threatened to bring down the President of the United States. It was huge news back in the late 90s. Monica Lewinsky, a young intern in the White House, had an affair with the President of the United States. It shocked the United States to see what happened there. But look across the Atlantic at around about the same time and there's another scandal taking place, this time involving Buckingham Palace. There was rumours of adultery, rumours of an affair. Princess Diana was rumoured to have a lover. I suppose in some ways these affairs really, while they're sad, they probably shouldn't surprise us too much, should they? I mean, it's happening everywhere else in our world. We shouldn't be too surprised that it's happening in the White House or that it's happening at Buckingham Palace. But the thing that truly amazes me, the thing that bewilders me when I see these sorts of scandals is they thought they could get away with it. I mean, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, they know that the paparazzi are watching their every single move. They know that their own devoted staff would sell them out in a heartbeat. They know that the eyes of the world are on them, but they still think they can get away with it. Well, this morning we're looking at a psalm that could feature with the same kind of headlines that we see here. But this one's even more tragic because this is King David, the king of God's people, Israel. 
and the wrongdoing of David in this story, well, quite frankly, it makes Bill and Monica look like a Sunday school picnic. It's Psalm 51, so you need to have your Bible open there. But did you notice the inscription at the top of the psalm? It actually sets this psalm precisely at the time of one event. It says this, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Psalm is related to this very specific event, and you can read all about it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. This incident took place at the height of King David's reign. He was the loved and respected king over God's people, Israel. Israel was secure and prosperous under his leadership. Maybe it was a midlife crisis. David would have been in his mid-40s around the time that this happened. Maybe if they'd had little red sports cars around at that time, this could have all been avoided. Maybe it was just plain old lust. But from the rooftop, David had seen a beautiful woman bathing. Choices needed to be made at that particular point. And David chose the tragic one. He knew that she was married... And he had her brought to the palace. Now I guess David was probably thinking it was just going to be a one night thing. He hadn't expected that she would fall pregnant. And to complicate matters further, her husband was away fighting in David's army at the time. I mean, this is starting to look pretty bad. David knows that he has done the wrong thing. He has slept with another man's wife. So what is he going to do? Is it time to confess everything? Well, at first he tries to cover it up. He has Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, brought home from battle uh, so that he can spend a little time with his wife and cover up any suspicion about the pregnancy. But Uriah actually shows himself to be far more noble than even King David in this one. Listen to what Uriah says when he's brought home. Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped out in open fields. How can I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So David then takes the breathtakingly extraordinary step of arranging to have Uriah killed. And he does it in the most pathetic and devious way. He arranges for him to die in battle. All the troops are going to head into battle. Uriah is going to lead them. And then all the troops except Uriah know that they are to then fall back so that Uriah will be killed. Bathsheba moves into the palace to be one of David's wives. You kind of wonder whether or not David might have been hoping that he'd earn a little respect from taking care of this pregnant war widow. And it kind of looks like he might have got away with it. That is until David confronts him in what is possibly one of the most dramatic passages in the whole of the Bible, and I'll leave you to read that for yourself. But did David honestly think that he could get away with it? 
Did he honestly think that God wouldn't know what's happened here? That God wouldn't care about what's happened here? Well, David is confronted with his sin by the prophet. And Psalm 51 is David's confession. It's a deeply personal plea for forgiveness. I think it's actually incredible that we have these chapters in the Bible, chapters like 2 Samuel 11 and and chapters like Psalm 51. It's incredible that every detail of David's wrongdoing is spelled out for us. His monumental mistakes, his attempts to cover it up and then his confession are all given to us in great detail. If you read through some of the autobiographies of the great leaders today, they'll occasionally mention a mistake or two that they've made, but they'll often want to try and justify themselves or they'll want to blame it on other people. I mean, grab John Howard's autobiography and you'll hear the story of a great prime minister. Uh, Well, that's what John Howard will tell you anyway. You won't hear too much about his mistakes. If you want to read about John Howard's mistakes, well, you'll need to get Peter Costello's autobiography because I'm sure that he'll detail those mistakes quite extensively. Leaders today often want to justify or even glorify themselves and blame their opponents for the things that have gone wrong. But that's not how it gets recorded for God's people. This most tragic mistake from Israel's most beloved king, it's spelled out for us in detail. No excuses are offered, no justifications are attempted, no shifting the blame, no minimising the failure, no trying to sweep it under the carpet. There it is in all its ugliness. And it's pretty ugly. Psalm 51 is David's personal response to God when he is confronted with that ugliness of his sin. And I think there's a reason that passages like this are included in the Bible. It's there because it tells us important things about sin, not just David's sin, but your sin and my sin as well. And it tells us important things about God. Let me tell you what it tells us about sin. The first thing that we learn about sin And this might sound glaringly obvious, but sin is serious. Now, again, that might be stating the obvious, but as a a wise man once said, if we cease stating the obvious things, then they cease to be obvious. Sin is serious. David's sin was serious and your sin is serious. There's a bit of a culture in our society today not to dwell on the negatives, but to only think about those things that are positive, that are going to build us up, help us feel better about ourselves. And talk of sin, well, that's just depressing, so people would prefer not to talk about it. But the Bible says it's really important for you to understand sin. If you don't get it about sin, then the rest of it makes no sense at all. If we can just avoid talking about sin, then Jesus may as well not have died on the cross. David has been confronted with the things that he has done, and they are shocking, horrible things. David knows that this is serious, and he knows that he needs to be forgiven. 
but he also realises that it's not just this major indiscretion that he needs to be forgiven for. He realises that the whole of his life has been tainted by sin. He knows that he's sinful right from the very time he was born. Have a look at it. Psalm 51 and find verse number 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now it's important to recognise that David's not just talking about himself here. He's talking about all of us. Every single one of us. Every one of us is born sinful. I think the only people who don't think that are people who've never had children. Because all you've got to do is have children and you're a firm believer in original sin. Sin is part of my very nature. Part of my makeup. Sin's not just a few isolated wrong things that I do. Sin is embedded deep down within me. Now, can I say, if you don't believe that, then you're kidding yourself. We, like David, were born sinful. But the thing that that makes most sin most serious is that it's a barrier to a relationship with God. David's sin stands in the way of him having friendship with God. In our sinful state, we can have no friendship with God. Something has to be done about our sin before we can be restored to friendship with God. Our sin leaves us with a serious problem. But the second thing this psalm tells us about sin is that genuine recognition of sin in my life will result in a desire to change. If we genuinely understand that we've sinned against God, then we'll want that to end. We will want things to be different. You regularly see stories of scandals on TV and we've seen plenty throughout the course of this year. Uh, Here's probably one of the biggest scandals of the year. And you get the impression that when these people are caught, the only thing that they're genuinely sorry about is the fact that they got caught. They're not sorry about what they've done. There's no sadness for their sin. They don't regret their sin. They just regret being caught. You get the impression if they had their whole lives to live over again, the only thing they would change is they'd make sure that they didn't get caught. But if you really recognise your sinfulness and your sinfulness before God, if you really recognise how serious sin is, then you'll want to do something about it. You'll want things to change. When you're confronted with the seriousness of sin, when you realise that it's a barrier between you and a relationship with God, then you'll definitely want something to change. And that's clearly what we see with David in this psalm. Have you got it there? Psalm 51, find verse number 2. Look at all of the things that David asks here. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. When David realises how serious his sin is, he wants to change. But did you notice that with each of those verses, it's really about surrendering to God. It's about asking God to do something. It's about asking God to change us. You don't fix sin by simply trying harder. The very start of fixing your sin problem is completely surrendering yourself to God. Asking God to create a clean heart in you. Asking God to give you a steadfast spirit. Well, there are two important insights about sin from that psalm. But we also get some pretty important insights about God. And the first one's found in verse number three. David says this, and remember the transgressions that we actually have in mind here. David says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when you know the background of this psalm, when you know what's actually led to David writing this song, I find myself left thinking, well, hang on, surely he sinned against Bathsheba as well, and he's pretty clearly sinned against Uriah. But David says, against you only have I sinned. What David is saying is the most significant aspect of his sin is that he sinned against God. That's probably why we sometimes downplay sin, I think. The most serious thing about our sin is that we have offended God with what we have done. It's God who judges us. It's God to whom we are accountable. So in the end, the most significant thing about any sin that we commit is that we are sinning against God. Now, David's not suggesting that he hasn't sinned against anyone else. I mean, he knows that he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. But he also knows that he'll be answerable for that. And it will be God to whom he has to answer. But by far the biggest lesson about God that we get from this psalm is that the God who judges us is also the God who is willing and able to forgive us. David's been confronted with his own sinfulness. He knows that it's against God that he has sinned. But more than anything, he knows that it's to God that he's got to turn for forgiveness. The only one who can deal with his sin is God. The only one who can make it right is God. Look with me again. Look at some of these verses. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 9. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. 
Verse 14, save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And did you know that that's what God expects from us as well? He expects us to turn to him for forgiveness. He expects us to show complete dependence upon God, as David does. And look at what David says in verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Our sin is not going to be dealt with from our end. It won't be dealt with by what we do. It will not be fixed by us trying harder or doing better. It can only be dealt with by God. No amount of sacrifices from our end, no amount of good deeds, no amount of hard work, no amount of covering it up can deal with it. What God wants is us to humble ourselves before him. What God wants is that we come to him with that broken and contrite heart. It's one of the great Psalms, Psalm 51, isn't it? gives us this great insight into sin and it gives us this great insight into God's forgiveness. But can I say, while David may know a lot about sin and forgiveness, you and I know a lot more about sin and forgiveness because we've seen the cross. We know more about the seriousness of sin. We know more about the lengths that God was willing to go to for us to be forgiven Because we know that Jesus came to die for us. We sit here today as people who know more about sin and forgiveness than King David. Do you know the thing that really comes to mind for me when I read this psalm? The thing that I think about when I read read Psalm 51 is how many people are there who are like King David? who are out there, they know the wrong things that they've done. They may have even attempted to cover it up. It may even be that nobody else knows about what it is that they've done. But they know and they continue to live with that guilt. They continue to feel that shame for what it is that they've done. Our society today tell you not to worry about that. Don't think about those sorts of things. But in those quiet moments, those people can't help but feel about, think about those things. There are plenty of people who feel that guilt, that shame, that sin, and they just don't know where to go. They don't know how to find forgiveness. They may be your friends, they may be your neighbours, they may be your family. You may not even know what it is that they feel guilty about. Indiscretions in their youth, mistakes in their midlife crisis, serious things that they feel they've got away with, but they continue to feel that guilt. And think about what David says there in verse 13. 
David knows that if he can experience God's forgiveness, he says this, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. David knows that that message of forgiveness is a message for sharing. There are people like David who are living with that bone-crushing guilt. There are people like David who need to hear that God is willing and able to forgive. It's a great message that we've got to give people, isn't it? That message of Jesus and his death on the cross. God has made it possible for us to be forgiven through the death of his son. He's made it possible for us to be brought into a relationship with him through Jesus' death on the cross. David could say, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. How much more can we say that? And how much more should we be acting on that? 